0: A very special welcome to two special guests uh, for this episode of Cloud and Clear. This Cloud and Clear is all about healthcare life sciences. I have two arguably foremost experts in the space all together on one video chat. Um, it's a special honor to have Chris Sakalowski, Managing Director of Healthcare Life Sciences, Google Cloud and Alphabet. Welcome, Chris. Thank you Chris, very much. Good to see you, Tony. Good to see you, Michael. And also our very own Healthcare Life Sciences uh, senior director, Michael Ames. Welcome both. Thanks Tony. Great to be here. Good. I see we're all dressed up for the occasion.
1: Got out of the hoodie and, uh, in sweats.
0: (laughs) This is Friday during a pandemic and we're all wearing, you know, at at least from the waist up. (laughs) Yeah. We don't, it's true. (laughs) This is all, all we can (laughs) see is from here up. Um, but Chris Sakalowski and I go way, way back. Um, pretty far back now in the Google, Google ecosystem. But even prior to that, when, when Sada was, was deep in the Microsoft business and um, Chris was at Microsoft, also in healthcare, we were very active in that space and we met at Hims, And so we go way farther back than our Google uh, sort of relationships would, would um, uh, represent. And it's just really great to be able to continue to work with awesome people breaking new ground day after day and Michael Ames, I met also at HIMSS yeah. um, while he was not yet at SADA. And I saw him present about all the work that he'd done around patient uh, informatics and data, patient information on Google Cloud, maybe before anyone else was doing it. And I saw him on stage. And he's also really funny. And I said, um, I think I think he'll do well at SADA. <laughs> and I, I repeated really hard and finally convinced him. All right, so you know, this has been a very um, crazy last 12 months, nine months, Chris, Michael. I think we feel like we've been called upon um, at, at Google and at SATA, especially in healthcare, because we've been all thrown into this midst of this human healthcare crisis, a global crisis. Um, and one of the things I'm most proud of, Chris, is how actually Google has responded and it enabled its partners to respond. So, what has it been like in the last nine months um, being inside of Google, helping and working on the global. Yeah, protection? I liked
1: what you said about the calling. I think there's something, if, if the last 12 months didn't scare you away from healthcare, nothing will. And I think there was a lot of resolve for everyone on the front line. So I think we all take our tip our caps to the frontline workers that are out there. You know, we did our part. And I and I think we have great partners like Sato who recognize an opportunity to serve and not sell really understand what they were trying to uh, accomplish uh, as the pandemic started in its early days. There was a lot of requests for data. Um, obviously, Google being who we are, had an opportunity to help in that regard. Then that the next phase of the pandemic hit and Michael had been talking like, OK, they have the data now. What are they going to do with it? How are they going to make the next logical decisions the right decisions how are they going to share that information and we really got to work uh, one of the things i'm most proud of is the work that uh, we did with sada with one of our larger healthcare providers uh, in the south that was actually in conjunction with the white house and just to watch the level of not just google and google cloud but to watch all the assets across sada across alphabet and quite frankly the entire industry we were working with peers and competitors in the marketplace and i think that's what I was most proud of is the way the community came together, Tony, at the end of the day, and, and Google did its part, and I was proud of that.
2: Yeah, and I would add, you know, yeah, plus absolutely. one to, to our, our gratitude to the frontline workers, because they're putting their, their personal health at risk. Another piece, though, that, that sometimes goes less noticed in the general public is how comprehensively the pandemic affected the healthcare industry back behind those frontline workers to the administration staff, to the IT staff, to the accountants, to everyone, right? Hospitals have had to make huge changes. They've had to um, alter the way that they work. And in some cases, they've been really busy, but they haven't been busy in a way that makes money for them. And so those of us who are in the business of trying to help hospitals be more successful have had to to, uh, pivot and work to help them to pivot and work to figure out how to do remote staffing for their non-clinical workforce. How do they handle even just being flexible in, in, things, like, in things like billing and, and thinking creatively about getting access to, to servers and systems and data. Anyone in the healthcare industry this year has had a, a tough year start with the frontline workers at the top of that iceberg and entire organizational support systems down below. And it's been great to be able to work with Google and be part of providing support for those people.
0: Yeah, with Google, we feel like we're standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, with regards to not only the, uh, the the cultural leadership we see, like how does Google respond in a in a crisis, but the technology leadership, the resources. Um, so we just love that association and and how it brings out the best in in, in all of us. Um, uh, and you know, healthcare uh, was suffering before, like as a as a as a vertical, right? Like as an industry. Chris, you've been in the industry for a long time, Michael. You have to working on the inside as well. Like it was tough before the pandemic.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, there's a couple of points you could you could draw from your statements. I mean, number one, there's a lot of there's a lot of inequities in health, and and I think we all recognize what those are. And says as we come together as partners, and what Michael and I often talk about this: how do we use technology for good? How do we enable? providers payers pharmaceutical and life science companies these med device manufacturers to bridge that divide to drive you know the engagement across uh, what are today current inequities and chasms now the technology chasms are closing and I think the pandemic did a lot of that as Michael talked about you saw a lot of these hospitals have to shift and rethink what their engagement model was right they physically had to meet with many of their elective, consumers and patients remotely or some blend of digital and physical. And so, you know, th- figuring what that would look like out, because not everyone has a home Wi-Fi and Internet connection. And how would you work with public and private um, places to bring Wi-Fi to communities? How would you then, once you've got that, how do you partner with, you know, the the likes of Google and Sada and others to bring that digital framework uh, together? Like Michael said, so much changed on them. But it wasn't changed necessarily for the better. It actually put more pressure on an already pressured system where the profits aren't that great. And the way we're set up in, a, in, a, in the U.S. economy, uh, health is always under pressure, especially for our, uh, our care delivery providers. And so just watching the pandemic and its impact on that, I'm sure we'll talk about that throughout the course of the day. That's probably one of the greatest takeaways is what the pandemic did is it fundamentally pushed several of these conversational lines across a chasm right, that digital connection point, uh, how technology is used, these, these dig- this concept of digital front doors or dig- digital entry points. And then how do we rethink the way, you know, data and analytics are used, not just for clinical uh, support and service of a patient, but also on the operational side. And so many of these elements will come out in the next, uh, in the next, uh, you know, two, three years that I think Michael and I are very, very excited about.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I think I feel a little bit guilty about this sometimes to be honest. But but the truth is that those of us who've been working in healthcare technology for a long time have had a few objectives that have been really hard to make happen. And and you know if I could control Z undo the pandemic in 2020, I would absolutely do that. Um, but in the absence of that big button, there are a couple of good things that will have come out of this transformation. Our best guesses are that uh, the that middle of 2019, about 4% of people aged 50 or over had had any kind of telehealth experience. Today, that number is well over 50%. So the fact is that's that's an experience that all of us now are going to start having as a regular part of our lives when we engage in the healthcare system. And it's something that a lot of us have been wanting to happen a long time. I I wish it didn't take a pandemic to help get us there, but if we're looking for silver linings, accelerating the adoption of technology that helps clinicians get access to patients and vice versa. Like Chris was talking about people in rural communities, um, folks who are already at home, folks who are most comfortable at home who might find it difficult to go into a doctor's office or who are concerned about uh, communicable diseases and things that they might find in the course of a a hospital visit Uh, this is this is an an excellent thing that has come out of it we will see a drop back down we're in sort of a surge of telehealth that will drop back down somewhat but it's it's not going away and ultimately it's for the for the better for the healthcare industry
0: yeah i think this new way of um, functioning especially in the context of this very highly regulated industry, not only highly regulated, but with a bunch of stakeholders, we have the payers, providers, the federal government and so on. Sometimes it's very hard to instill change, right? Until something drastic happens. And so there's often not even legislation to cover some things that are going on. So it's like, okay, an emergency will do this, but can we really keep doing this? So I'm glad you kind of went down the path of this question, Michael, because I was going to ask uh, both you and Chris this question is how much of what we're seeing we feel like will be the precipice for, for sort of permanent change, the seed for permanent change. And how much, how much of this is, oh, when, you know, we'll just go back to how it works. Yeah, I'll,
1: I'll double down on something uh, Michael said while the pandemic forced a lot of virtual connection points between the payer, provider, pharma life sciences and med device communities with their consumers and patients and members. You'll see some normalization of that. But the, from those four percent thresholds to the ninety one or two percent that I think were in some of the publications, you're still going to settle back in in that 50, 60 percent range. And it's going to be across the broad spectrum of health. I think you'll see telehealth will continue to emerge and say a part of that fabric, Tony, is one Right. I think folks realize that with the regulated regulation changes looking like they'll be permanent. The ability to practice across borders is going to open up the opportunity for both the the traditional providers and that we know today, as well as new disruptive players in the marketplace to provide new based consumer services to meet consumers where they are. And I think that's what's exciting is it opened up that frame. But things that will also stay. I mean, listen, we just witnessed drug companies release and distribute. A vaccination that would take normally takes four, six to eight years and, you know, tens of billions of dollars. They did it in a third the time or less. And they did it in with with, half the cost. And they used data as the nuclear reactor behind it they used digital and physical work across the organizations to michael's point it wasn't just scientists there's all the other people that go behind it the logistics uh, folks the supply chain folks and they were all using new methods of collaboration and communication and that's that for me as a stakeholder here is what i was so proud of the community for we just played a small part but again just being so proud of the community and what to answer your question where i think we're going. This is just the beginning. So never let a crisis go to waste. And this really, I think, uh, vaulted us forward.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't think that we can say enough in praise of the scientists and researchers who pulled off that vaccine. The, The polio vaccine was 100 years between the idea of it and the actual implementation of it. 100 years, which is why I chuckle when people say, well, I'm not sure about this you know this this vaccine. We do we how do we do we know do we know that vaccines are going to be safe? We we've, we've done this for a long long time, right? This vaccine is new, but we're standing on the shoulders of giants. We've got great science and technology behind it, and the research was absolutely enabled by technology that let those teams work together efficiently and and remotely, right? And that's that's really exciting. There's some other things that have been pushed forward. The um, the uh, Google Health Research app is a thing that you can go download now that cap that, so I've spent a lot of years supporting clinical research and processes like how you find patients who might be appropriate for your research, how you gather their consent to pursue it, how you gather the data that you need from them and then get it in a place where you can analyze and do it. Each one of those process steps is a set of difficult challenges that this app has now consolidated into one place. Now, I'm gonna admit, I downloaded it a week ago because I was thinking about it for this podcast half an hour ago. I started it up and, and logged in and made my first clicks. And within 15 minutes, I'm enrolled in a clinical study that knows about me, that is collecting data, that is going to send me reminders to fill in more data. And it's, it's around health research and COVID-19 and, and respiratory issues. And so now I'm, I'm part of something. And I literally never left this couch,
1: right? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I did the same thing with the Verily Baseline application. And again, it's, it's the beauty of, uh, about being a part of Alphabet. There are over 50 different operating investments inside the company. Uh, that we get to take advantage of and bring to bear. And I think that's, as we saw the pandemic, it's like you saw all of those things activate at once. It, it, again, in a, in a somber way, though, it's like my eyes got wide open and I'm like, I really understand now why I'm here, what our purpose is and how we can tackle some of these hardest challenges. Because Michael, all the things you said that you did from your cast, it sounds so easy. There are real steps in, uh, that, that go into this and the platforms that those are built on, like the healthcare and life sciences API sounds like the most mundane, boring thing on the planet. And yet it's the fabric to do that consent management and to make sure that you're handling the privacy of that information and making that data interoperable so that it's not just using like sort of a one way between the app and the data store on the other side. It actually allows the patient, the consumer, the caregivers, teams, you can share that with a wide audience. That is actually what allows us to do the things like bring drugs to market faster through research, discovery and delivery right? It, that's the kind of that, that partnership that we have. And it, it, again, it's just one of those things where you say, wow, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here now. And I'm glad I have the, the assets available to us to think through all of these different scenarios because they are not easy. And the fact that you can do it from your couch or Tony or I or anyone else for that matter, uh, is uh, it's mind-blowing uh, to, th- to think where we were maybe five, six years ago and where we are today.
2: It, it's awesome. It, it's exciting. Chris, Your your comments made me think of of something that I wanted to ask. Tony, is it okay if I hit up Chris with a question here?
0: Oh, absolutely. I'm not gonna monopolize You all well, the questions. mean, you,
2: you're the expert. So you just mentioned, Chris, a number of different sort of parallel kinds of investments and ways that Google, and if we think more broadly, Alphabet is working in healthcare. And people hear about Google Cloud, and they hear about things like the healthcare API, they hear about Verily, they hear about Google Health. and I think sometimes it's not always clear uh, what are all these different pots of people doing and, and how do they coordinate? And how do we in the, who are in the business of trying to bring technology to the healthcare and life sciences industry to help, help them get to the next uh, level, how, how should we be understanding and thinking about Google's investments and, and how we engage at those different levels?
1: Yeah, I'll speak it from a Google Cloud vantage point, but I'll also give you my my observations, uh, my aperture for all of Alphabet. First and foremost, without ever breaking open the semantic debate of what is a solution and what is not a solution, I view Google Cloud as a solution-based platform where our job is to work at a platform level with our solutions to bring real life value to our customers and our partners and ultimately their customers and partners, which could be the end consumer, it could be it could be the, the government it, and it could be large pharma, uh, the payer providers, et cetera. We work at that platform level uh, to bring all of that plumbing work that you need done. That's that layer, think of it like a layer cake. That's that first layer, and that's Google Cloud. And Tony, you used the word sitting on the shoulders of giants. Guess what I get to do? I get to sit on the shoulders of a giant uh, known as Google with its hyperscale fabric, its hyperscale compute platform. And so I get to put not only the Google Cloud platform layer on top of that cake, I also get to put the healthcare and life sciences layer on top of that. So we start bridging from platform to solution platform. Right, where we start to enable those types of connectivities, Michael, like we talked about, right? The ability to do natural language processing, the ability to ingest data and make it usable, the ability to drive insights. And then you start to layer on top of that alphabet, right? All of what alphabet brings, where they may have connected, fully baked chronic disease management um, programs, end-to-end. And we will work across that stack. Or we might be working with one of our partners from a clinical trial, a virtual clinical trial perspective. And they bring that final layer of IP on top. The key is the ability to execute. We're very clear on our role. We're really clear on our role as an enabler, as a business partner. And so we look to remove the friction points as a platform provider, yet we understand and can execute on the full solution, both with first party and our third party uh, assets. And I get that's, again, what I'm so proud of and really why I chose to come to, to, to Google because it does have that deep reach, not just within Google, not just within Google Cloud, but across that entire Alphabet uh, ecosystem. And it's, it's a pleasure working with them every day. I, I tell you, it really is.
2: <clears throat> Sometimes what it seems like from the outside is that you've got pieces of Google that are um, going for the moonshots, right? I remember several years ago when Verily was talking about contact lenses that would help with diabetes management. Things like, I would say 99% of the healthcare industry is not doing and and doesn't have direct relevance to what most of us are doing but they sort of serve to help us to see what is possible if we get the data together if we have the right platforms if we have the right analytics if we have the right kind of outside the box thinking what can we actually do with it and so sometimes what we need is a little bit of inspiration and some of those things are coming out of other places within Google part of i think like you what i enjoy about working with google cloud specifically is that's where the rubber hits the road this is where we can actually build things and it's not that we're not building things on google cloud that aren't aren't equally exciting we're working with a a company right now that is trying to do things like improve the accuracy of in-home clinician patient visits so doctors who are visiting people who are, are shut up in their homes and they've they've got to collect all kinds of information and data from them Often they've got a big box of medicines, and it takes a long time to go through those one at a time and click or type them in and figure out how to, you know, make sure that you're actu- accurately capturing all of that data. And and we're working with Google Cloud technology to let us pull out a, a pill box, put it in front of a camera on a mobile app rotate that box around. We pull off that text using one Google, we we capture the image using one Google API. We pull off the text using another API. We process it through some standardized um, medical terminology processing capability on another API. And what we get out of the end is this structured, highly accurate view of all of the medications that this patient is taking without that clinician having to spend, you know, 20, 30 minutes going through these one at a time it it seems in some ways mundane but then you take that and you multiply that across hundreds of thousands or millions of these visits happening in a home and you have now something that has a substantial impact on the quality and the efficiency of care for lots and lots of people right so we may be inspired by science fiction dreams but then we can come to google cloud and like build stuff today that works and frankly, without a lot of lines of code, in order to so the-
1: Listen, that's where we put our flag in the ground, Michael. Absolutely. I mean, listen, history, right? Has innovation has zero reverence for your history, zero, right? In order to stay an innovator, you have to innovate. It is a fact. And so, one of the one of the reasons why Google does what it does, why Alphabet does what it does from an innovation perspective is to bring the art of the possible to the table. Now, by the way, with that same comes a healthy irreverence for failure, because you're seeking the learnings, not necessarily the product on the output. And so when I'm working with customers every day, they they always ask like, how should we think about working with you and with your partners like SADA, who seem to be focused on the ready and the now with an eye towards the future versus how would we work with other divisions? And what we always say is, listen, we we were brought here Thomas Kurian put us on the map to help bridge that gap to take a look at what the art of the possible is and understand what's disrupting businesses and marketplaces in the enterprise in the consumer market whether it be retail, consumer packaged goods, healthcare, digest and understand what's happening there and start to connect some of these moonshot concepts with real with real world practical problems, things that are harder than the, than your average technology hyperscaler cloud company is going to go tackle. Take the learnings from those and then work with the customers to get them ready for when that moonshot is ready and bring those two worlds together. That is really at the core of what we do. And while you'll never see it on a mission statement, it's usually the, the, the greatest bit of advice I give customers and our own people to what they can do. Right to help customers be more innovative is to help them get ready, and that again, like you said, sometimes it starts with the mundane, and sometimes it's just getting your data state in order, and it's putting the right technologies in place to do it. But you'll quickly realize as you set that foundation and you start to execute, those things pile up really quick, and then you can bring that innovation uh, in uh, together. And I think that's where the the magic really happens.
2: You know, and 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 I think it's important that we not underestimate the value of the mundane. I hate using that word, but the value of the mundane at scale is, it it can be tremendously valuable. So a lot of of the work that we have done in the last year with Google in the healthcare industry has been extending and expanding and and helping to grow the the Google uh, workspace um, footprint, what we used to call G Suite, and enabling all of those back office folks at healthcare organizations to be able to work together, communicate, collaborate more efficiently, when we're talking about, you know uh, uh, bi- robobiotic contact lenses and magical vision APIs and machine learning and things, sometimes it seems like, and you want to offer me a good word processor, too. Like is this really exciting? but but those are the things. Those are the fundamentals that enable these organizations to innovate. Again, going back to the vaccine all this vaccine study and development was for the most part not done with a bunch of researchers looking at each other in conference rooms they were in their own homes like the three of us are today collaborating online like we are today with documents and spreadsheets and cloud-based databases and everything else to enable what then was this transformational biomedical breakthrough built on mundane pieces of technology simply deployed, built really well and, and deployed at scale. So there, there's nothing that we do that I think ultimately doesn't have that really exciting sort of innovation impact.
1: Yeah. I love to steal this quote from Thomas and while well, he wasn't applying it to workspace specifically, he's like, I care very little about what's happened in the past. And what he was really pointing to is the, 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 the market leads or lack thereof that others have in any one category, whether it be cloud, uh, office collaboration suites or otherwise. When you look at the, the technology, the artificial intelligence that's being applied to a modern, the, the new way of working today, like you said, the, the disconnected uh, clinician or researcher, the fact that they're working in groups and they're doing so virtually, the fact they're doing across continents and globes with hundreds, if not thousands of patients and cohorts and consumers in the mix of the collaboration. What was done in the past and the tools that were used in the past They're not table stakes. They're actually going to become irrelevant over time and artificial intelligence based collaboration tools built for everybody that meets them where they are, I think is ultimately what's going to differentiate um, workspace, Google workspace from the competition in the future. And I'm very, very excited and confident in that that future is very, very bright. Uh, for our customers who are already on it today. And they're, they're already seeing the benefits. You know, we had one hospital call us up literally in the middle of the pandemic, which they had no time to do. And just say, we, we are so thankful we moved to workspace when we did because and they walked us through how they were handling input uh, inbound patients coming in with covid it was early where people didn't fully get grasp the segregation of those patients as they were coming into the hospital from the people that were were healthy or at least coming in for more routine checkups and things like that and their ability to collaborate real time across workstations across dozens if not hundreds of hospitals across uh, their uh, their care network that phone call signaled to me we're doing something smart, we're doing something right. And that really is that collaborate, the collaborative feature set based, built on AI is really what's gonna differentiate, not the product, but those who use it. And I think that's Michael, I think is at the core of what you were saying.
0: Yeah, and I think look, workspace was the first thing that healthcare organizations specifically adopted at scale in the enterprise that we saw in the last 14 years. And it was amazing. It almost seemed like overnight. And it seems clear and obvious now because we have so many wins of large healthcare organizations adopting uh, Google Workspace. Whether you go back to, I remember when Genentech was 3,000 employees and Roche was 90,000 and Roche bought Genentech. And then instead of Genentech going Microsoft, all of Roche went Google. Like that was a crazy conservative, European company very, you know, but then following sort of all the hospital groups one by one, um, it was sort of like those moments of realization that a, you know, being regulated and having compliance requirements like HIPAA was no easy task to manage yourself to then really the cost factor. Like it was such a tremendous cost savings and we're able to meet them in their collaboration needs where they were. Hospital workers are not sitting all at a desk, right? They're not like, you know, with two monitors and all. They're running around with they have kiosks, they have phones, they have all this other stuff. And the fact that we could meet them and make them all first class citizens and sort of this new collaboration paradigm was a huge, huge leap. And, I, you know, unfortunately, took um, the HIPAA regulations and also a few... Um, major fines, you know, to get customers to accelerate the adoption of some of these tools and, and give uh, the hard work of security and compliance to Google to handle uh, at least a big part of it. But now, and so now we have a different type of event, which is this sort of global pandemic, which is, you know, clearly made it obvious that we're just not, we, we weren't ready for an event like this, this big. And so how do we then get all these healthcare organizations, payer, provider, life sciences, to um, to approach these things that we're doing ex- as an experiment right now, to accelerate them into production, because they have to realize, like they now know, they must be prepared for for anything.
1: Yeah, it's funny. There was a, there was a quote, do do Tony. Um, it was a LinkedIn post, uh, Dr. Ferrugia from the CEO of, of uh, Mayo put it out there. And, I, and, I, and I've used it so many times since then. I hope he doesn't mind. I probably owe him some copyright fees somewhere here. But I, I will tell you what I saw in that note. He was basically as a CEO, my job was to, used to be, you know, to push us forward, to look forward. He's like, now, one of the biggest responsibilities I have is to keep us from going back, going back to maintaining that transformational mindset, making sure that not just telehealth visits but this this concept of a digital fusion with our with our you know brick and mortar shield making sure that those things you know move forward and that is our future because we can see more patients we can actually reduce the burnout on our clinicians because they can see more with with less resource because you can blend that agentless concept with the in-person clinician especially when you start thinking about these population health, chronic disease management programs that I think are going to define our economy, not just the digital economy, but our economy globally going forward, which where so much cost is is centered. Hearing him say that both on the video and then again, reading it in hard print as the CEO, keep, my job used to be just to take us forward, to set a vision. Now it's to keep us from going back. Very well. That to me really yeah. crystallized. um the role and the mindset of, of, of future leaders, both today and, and, and tomorrow. Yeah. Cause,
0: because cause inertia is a powerful thing as well in the other direction. Yes. Like that, uh, the, the sort of recoil is, is, uh, is a real thing. And, and I'm glad he's thinking like that because it's very easy to settle back down to the status quo. But I think that's exactly the mindset that's gotten healthcare kind of where, where, where it has been in the past. And, you know, look, the, the startup community, these different alternative healthcare, alternative uh, life sciences, they're, they're so well-funded, they're so progressive, they have no technical debt, they have no qualms about the past, they have no um, sacred cows. So they're very competitive, and, and the traditional enterprises that we all support also uh, really have the opportunity to, to to define themselves differently in the future, and, and takes the right leadership and bold leadership to take themselves. Absolutely. Now, in, in our sort of... Um, way 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 out of the podcast I want to ask you both two two questions. One is what you're most proud of in the last uh nine nine to twelve months and what you're um excited about in twenty twenty one the most as well. Sure. So Chris, why don't you sure put- I
1: I think, we, I think we've talked quite a bit of what about about what I'm most proud of, not only in terms of the industry, but uh, the collaboration that we have had, Tony, uh, during the pandemic. And so I'll, I'll hang my hat on that one. And I'll transition to, you know, things I'm most excited about. And by the way, we would need three more podcasts and a timer on me to keep me on, uh, on, on time for each. But there's just three that I'll, I'll pick for you that I have been spending a lot of time internally with our leadership team, both the global healthcare leadership team, as well as the broader company, right? The, the first one's really just the, this concept. I think that digital... Uh, front door takes shape. I think we're moving beyond the rhetoric of what a digital front door is. And I think we move, uh, with telehealth. And I think we start to connect this, the virtual care framework with, uh, with durable programs that focus on population health and individual health. And I think that spans across, you know, all the four sub verticals of med device manufacturer, pharma, life science, and our healthcare payer and providers. I truly think that that is, that will take shape and you will see telehealth married with these these durable programs. And I think that that ultimately is here and ready now. And I think we're at the epicenter of that as, as, as Sada and Google Cloud. I think the second area I'd pick out is I think we're past the hype cycle around machine learning and data. And I think we're really seeing it come to fruition now. I think that was one of the the wins, if there is any coming from the pandemic that we got is that folks really started to think hard, not just about, hey, I've got regulations coming around interoperability, but Data isn't just something I need to store and, and, and leave for my analysts. You have to democratize it as if it was search, right? And again, that puts it right in our wheelhouse is the ability to search yep. data, make it actionable and insightful. And I think what you'll see now in this next year, not years from now, now is this ability to drive predictive insights that drive next logical action, which immediately brings in AI, and I think you're really going to see a strong framework for artificial intelligence to thread together that digital engagement model in the care continuum, right? The ability to drive insights, both clinical and operational, and the ability to actually deliver it, right, both with humans and across agentless call centers, um, workstations, uh, et cetera. And, I, and I'm so excited. And I'll tell you a quick story and then I'm going to turn it to Michael. I had a, one of our one of my favorite and it's our our shared favorite CIOs um, down in the southern markets of one of the larger uh, health systems said to me the other uh, just a few weeks ago, he's like, hey, Chris, listen, uh, it, when I think about partnerships and I think about what I'm so excited about from a technology standpoint, he's like, the reason why I stopped reading newspapers is because I was always reading about what happened yesterday He's like, I would buy more newspapers if I could open them up and would tell me what to do tomorrow. At least give me a sense, give me the insights to not only make decisions on my own, but actually build in logic that tells me what the next logical recommendation should be. And he goes, by the way, that's not just it's not just for our doctors and our nurses. It's for it's for the researchers that we work with. It's for the pharmaceutical companies we engage in our supply chain, our distributors all the way across the full operations of the companies like and that is really not the future that's now that's what's on my plate on the agenda with the board now and so if you just stitch those three things together tony i'm so excited about that because it's in our wheelhouse i believe i believe wheelhouse, we are not definitely. just the thought leaders but we are the execution yep. leaders in that regard and i do believe we can bring you know that digital framework together uh with with our with partnerships like sada so very very excited about that for 2021
0: it is exciting. It is the wheelhouse. It's what Google does best. We do the other stuff well too, and the foundational work, we still have to win there, but that is definitely, very few companies can can do what Google does in that area, especially with all the other healthcare uh, investments around Alphabet. Um, Michael A. Yeah, I'm
2: gonna answer in the opposite order because I wanna launch off of what Chris was saying about AI and being past the, past the hype cycle. People have asked me for a long time, when will we have AI integrated with clinicians making care decisions for patients? And the truth is we actually have it now. There's a lot of that that's happening that you're not seeing that are are integrations with medical record systems that are providing assistance and advice to doctors and helping to diagnose your your conditions. But most people are really thinking about when do we get to the point where we're really offloading that from the doctor and the the computer can help to identify the medicine that I need better than the doctor can. And my answer is you will be ready for that about the same time that you arrive at the hospital in a self-driving car. And the reason is at the point when we as a society are ready to entrust our safety to the artificial brain of that self driving car, we will also be ready to trust our health to an artificial brain that's there augmenting the work of a, of a real doctor, right? And so I've been watching that time frame. Now, I remember a few years ago when folks were saying, we're all going to be in artificial cars by 2020, that ship has sailed, but it's getting closer. And I think that we are getting closer and closer to the point where we are going to be able to help doctors to focus really on the creative problem solving part of their work and less so on the just sort of mundane looking at symptoms and helping to apply, uh, you know, sort of a textbook kind of solution to them. Let's let the machines do that. Let's let the doctors do the really hard creative part. And I think we're getting closer and closer to that all the time.
1: And that's exciting. Well, you certainly are seeing it in, in, in the payer side. Right, you're you're seeing they're 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 yeah. letting the computer, they're letting the machine learning algorithms and the artificial intelligence making decisions on claims to yeah. lower the cost of the claim. You don't need a human being to reason yeah. over whether this you know this uh, treatment should be approved or not approved, especially when it's specialty. And so we're, that those partnerships that we have with some of the larger payer systems out there, I think, is really going to pay dividends in terms of the impact on the GDP. And you see the same thing in drug yeah. discovery. They're letting the computers cull through all of that data, all those medical journals, those hundreds of thousands of years of worth of data that they've compiled and say, bring back the most relevant information to me. You're not displacing the data scientist, the doctor or the, the claims agent. You're just making them more efficient because they can deal with the hardest cases while the ones that should just be reasoned over quickly, we can get into that rhythm. And I think that's ultimately where we really will have the biggest impact on the economy, Michael, no doubt.
2: Yeah, yeah, love it, love it. I think that's a great example. Then, Tony, to your first question about- what what am I most proud of? I, I remember a day back in mid-March or so, when the, the closeness, the sort of proximity of the pandemic was really hitting home because events were getting canceled, schools were talking about canceling, churches, businesses, and, and we didn't know what was happening and things were happening really quick. And I remember a day when I thought this is really real and it's really going to be part of my life. And and I'm not sure what that means yet, but but it is. And it was literally the next day that I got pulled into calls at SADA and Google on a number of immediately forming and pressing transformational initiatives that we were going to start pushing through in order to try to bring forward some help and some response to this pandemic. It was 24 hours before the idea hit me, we have a problem here. And when this ecosystem that I'm a part of had completely aligned around, let us see what we can do here to help. And at no point in those conversations for the months that followed was the conversation in any way the sort of cynical Let's see how we can use the pandemic to figure out how to drive business. It was always, as Chris said, service before sales, it was always a sense of what is the greater good that we can do? How can we take this magical technology that we've got at our disposal and put it to use to try to help this human race make it through this entirely unplanned biological disaster? And, And I am so proud to be part of an organization and an ecosystem and an industry that is set up around that. Let's figure out how to do what is right because we have the power
0: to do it. Couldn't have said anything. Very well said, very well put. It's exactly why we wake up excited every single day that we get to have an impact, I'll work alongside with like-minded people with a similar culture and vision, and with just amazing capacity to deliver value, and that's everything that we get out of our partnership with Google Cloud. And um, Chris, I mean, all the work in healthcare, life sciences. Michael, you know this too. This is GDP impacting work, and it's it's uh, healthcare outcome impacting work. And look, in this country, in the U.S., you know, we have a lot of work to do, and. Um, and, and the, the trick is getting the right value to the right decision makers at old, sometimes conservative organizations to sort of let us do the work. But I think it's never been more compelling. It's never been easier and it's never been um, as safe to, uh, to go on this journey with us and with Google Cloud, especially with the leadership from Thomas and Rob and everyone else that, um, that supports our vision every day and the investments required to keep going. So um, I want to thank you all for being my guests. Chris Eichelowski, Michael Williams, always great to have two guests, it's rare, but you know, definitely changes the conversation and makes it uh, a lot lot more exciting. And um, it was a great pleasure. Look forward to a great 2021 together. And um, thanks for last year and and, a lot more, a lot more to come this year and in the future. Thanks,
2: Chris, a lot of fun.
0: Thank you both. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics And don't
2: forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, SADA.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.